Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Passion. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 6 to 14, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, I Know Whom I Have Believed. a number of years ago now, but the effects of what happened then, I think, has still gotten stuck in a number of different minds today. The idea is that Christians have been fed false information about Jesus. After all, aren't there other Gospels about Jesus? You know, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. How about the Gospel of Judas? I mean, what about all these other accounts? And So many people have unwittingly come to believe that what we have in the Bible is just one possible account of Jesus. That idea became quite popular way back in 2003 when Dan Brown wrote a book entitled The Da Vinci Code. For those of you who haven't read it, let me bring you up to speed by quoting a brief section of that book. The man Teabing is portrayed as an authoritative historian and the woman, Sophie, is being instructed on the so-called true history of Christianity. So let me quote. Indeed, Teabing said, stay with me. During this fusion of religions, Constantine needed to strengthen the new Christian tradition, held a famous ecumenical gathering known as the Council of Nicaea. Sophie had heard of it only so far as it being the birthplace of the Nicene Creed. At this gathering, Teabing said, many aspects of Christianity were debated and voted upon the date of Easter, the role of bishops, the administration of the sacraments, and of course, the divinity of Jesus. I don't follow his divinity. My dear Teabing replied, until that moment in history, Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet, a great and powerful man, but a man nonetheless, a mortal, not the son of God. Right, Teabing said, Jesus' establishment as the Son of God was officially proposed and voted on by the Council of Nicaea. Hold on, you're saying that Jesus' divinity was the result of a vote? A relatively close one at that, Teabing added. Now, if that were true, that would be quite something. It would state that a group of bishops called together by the Roman emperor met at Nicaea in AD 325 and voted a close vote that made Jesus the Son of God a title that he'd never held before, and they did it for political reasons to unify the empire under one doctrinal system. Wow! Did that happen? You see, that's what Dan Brown wanted us to believe back then. Now, of course, every time Mr. Brown was challenged in debate, he said, oh, look, this book is only a fiction. And then, of course, the minute those people who held him to account were no longer in the room. He went right on talking as if it wasn't a fiction at all. But I have in my hand right now a document that was written 235 years before the Council of Nicaea. Well, what document do I have? It's called the Gospel of John. And if you don't believe that the Gospel of John is authentic, well, let me tell you a little secret. Archaeologists have discovered a part of a manuscript called Ryland Papyrus P-52 which has been dated by some of the leading papyrologists in the world somewhere in the second century or the AD 100s. And that manuscript was discovered in Egypt. And please remember that John wrote the Gospel of John in Ephesus. So you can imagine that it takes a manuscript some time to circulate, that is, to get from Ephesus in Turkey down to Egypt. So we can see that the Gospel of John 
was copied to manuscripts very early, was already in Egypt, let's say, about 50 to 75 years after it was originally written. What does that tell us? Well, probably that Dan Brown is full of beans, but more, it tells us a lot about the real Jesus and the one in whom we have believed. So let's find out what an eyewitness actually said about the real Jesus. And here I'm reading John 14, 6 to 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, those words that Jesus spoke are, are they breathtaking words? I wonder how many of us have simply taken things like this for granted. But if you'll step back for a moment, I want you to see these words, the answer to three questions about Jesus. First of all, why is Jesus so fascinating? And second, what exactly is Jesus' relationship to God? And thirdly, what is Jesus' relation to us? So let's begin. Why is Jesus so fascinating? I mean, after having been told that, you know, we're living in a secular society and having been told that all religions are basically the same and having been told that science, not faith, is the answer to all human problems, why won't Jesus go away? He will continue to be the topic of conversation and dominate human thinking. Well, part of the answer for that is found in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Many of you are no doubt aware that Jesus, in fact, makes seven I am statements that are recorded in the book of John. In those seven statements, Jesus makes the following claims. He claims to be the bread of life. He claims to be the light of the world. He claims to be the door of salvation. He claims to be the good shepherd that he alone is capable of leading humanity. He claims to be the resurrection and the life. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he claims to be the true vine and that all people are branches and must find nourishment in him in order to survive. See, in those seven statements, Jesus claims that he alone and none other is the hope of the world. So, you know, why is Jesus so fascinating? Well, for starters, Jesus claims that in a world that has so little of those elements. Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the light. I mean, the way is direction. The truth is certainty. The life is satisfaction or fulfillment and the hope over death. I think that Jesus is not saying that these are three separate things. Rather, that these three things are all a part of one. I love what Thomas A. Kempis wrote so many years ago. Follow me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. 
Without the life, there is no living. In other words, you need Jesus to have any direction in life, to have any certainty in life, and to have any fulfillment and hope in life. Here's why Jesus is so fascinating. In his world, the rabbis would often preface what they're saying by quoting another rabbi. So in answering a question, they would say, well, you know, Rabbi Hillel or Rabbi Shammai says, but Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He says that he's the embodiment of all truth and all the world needs and seeks. And furthermore, he claims there are no alternatives. He and he alone is the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say, I am a truth. I am the truth. Not only did Jesus claim that, but his followers claimed that about him. Peter himself put it this way in a book written, yeah, 265 years before the Council of Nicaea, Acts 4, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we might be saved. In short, the followers of Jesus believed him. They thought that Jesus was so significant that the future of everyone and every man, woman, and child, people from every single culture in the world, their future hangs on how they respond to Jesus. That's what makes him so fascinating. These followers stake their lives on the truth of that claim. Ha, but what about Jesus' relationship to God? Well, in John 14, 1 to 6, Jesus has revealed that he is the only way to heaven and to the Father's house. And now he takes the language one step further. Look now at verses 7 and 8 again. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. See, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of get Philip. When Philip first encountered Jesus, he came to an instant conclusion. He concluded that Jesus was the one who Moses wrote about in the law. Well, you can read about that in John 1:43. And so Philip had concluded that Jesus was a prophet equal to Moses. But clearly, he had vastly underestimated Jesus. Many of us find ourselves at home more than usual these days. Solitude can be a refreshing discipline, but a bit more challenging when it's thrust upon us. Today, I wanted to remind you of the many Bible teaching resources you can access for free through Back to the Bible Canada. Every weekday, listen to Dr. Neufeld on this radio station, online at backtothebible.ca, or through our podcast or free mobile app. Not only today's program, but there's a vast library of Bible teaching series online. Other resources include our weekly young adult program, In Doubt, or the daily airing of Laugh Again. And most recently, for five weeks beginning March 22nd, we'll begin to air a special Bible teaching video series aired every Sunday morning available at backtothebible.ca or the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information about all of these resources and more, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. There are a great many people who greatly underestimate Jesus. In John 6, when Jesus was about to feed the 5,000 with five small loaves of barley and two fish, he looked straight at Philip. He asked him, where will we buy enough bread to feed this crowd? 
And Philip says, and this is roughly equivalent translation, he says, you know, we don't have that much cash. You know what he could have said? You know, he could have said, well, Jesus, I've seen you do some incredible things. I'm sure you know, but he doesn't say that. So here's a picture of Philip. He's the disciple who constantly underestimates Jesus. He doesn't really know who he is. You know, Hollywood would have loved Philip. Now look at verse 8. Here's what Philip wants. He wants Jesus, just like Moses at Mount Sinai, to show him the Father. You remember at Mount Sinai, the mountain was filling with smoke. The earth began to tremble. Fire from God was actually falling from heaven onto the mountain. And a trumpet began to sound louder and louder and louder. People were collapsing in fear. And out of that unimaginable splendor, the voice of God spoke. He said, I am the Lord your God. And Philip was saying to Jesus, I don't think I'm underestimating you. Moses showed Israel that. And I believe you can show us that as well. That's what I need from you to strengthen my faith. Jesus, he says, in a bold moment, show us the Father. See, I have no doubt that what Jesus says next absolutely floored Philip, and it should us as well. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Notice that Jesus is saying that he is both distinct from the Father and one with the Father. You see, on the one hand, Jesus does make a distinction between himself and the Father. You know, really, if you pay close attention to verse 10, that's what he's saying. I have never spoken on my own authority. I've only spoken what the Father has said. Indeed, that is Jesus' life. He's obedient to the Father in everything, so much so that as he was on the verge of going to the cross, he prayed, not my will but yours be done. Those are the words of someone who's distinct from the Father. And yet look again at verse 9. What's he saying there? Well, he's saying, Philip, do you want something as great as Moses showed Israel? Well, I've shown you something greater, and you didn't know it. If you see me, you have seen the Father. You know, in reflecting on those words of Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews would say, chapter 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, when the writer of Hebrews uses the word imprint, he's using a Greek word that came from the world of coins. It means just as the stamp directly corresponds to the imprint on the coin, so Jesus is the physical imprint of the invisible God. That's the message of John. In the very first verse in the entire book, John points out that in the beginning was the Word, speaking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 8:58, Jesus even claimed that he was the great I am. He was Yahweh, the God of Israel, come in human flesh. And in John 5:23, Jesus demanded that all honor the Son, that is himself, even as they honor the Father. In other words, he demands the same worship of himself as is given to the Father. Philip hadn't even paying attention. So Jesus gets about as plain to him as he possibly can. I am the physical, infleshed image of the invisible God. Now, I imagine Philip was stunned at that moment. 
He's being told right then as he's looking in Jesus' face that he has never really known him at all. All this while, he's been looking into the face of God and he didn't know it. You know, if this seems impossible to believe and yet, Philip is given convincing evidence that it's so. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. In fact, Jesus is saying, believe me because I not only speak the truth, I am the truth. But if all of that seems so fantastic, so difficult for you to believe, well, tell me, what happened when the lepers came to me and were instantly cleansed? What do you think was going on when I commanded the winds and waves to obey me and they did? What happened when blind people saw or when I stood at the tomb of Lazarus and ordered a dead man to stand up and walk out of his grave? Indeed, for us today, what do you think happened when Jesus walked out of his own tomb? Years ago, I remember reading a story of a woman who had been adopted and who was looking for her biological mother. She had put ads in the newspaper and she had checked all manner of registries and after a long and exhaustive search, still nothing. You know, there was an older woman who worked with her and this young woman began to confide in her and the older woman seemed to understand and soon she shared with her the details of her search, where she was adopted, her birthday, who might have given her up, all the details. And one day the older woman said, I too am on a search. I gave up my daughter for adoption and all the details you've shared, well, they fit my story. You know, I wonder if you're my daughter. And so they went for a biological test and they found out it was so. All that time, they hadn't realized who they were looking at. You know, that sounds familiar. How can I find God, says the secular scientist. How can I find God, says the religious man or woman. How can I find God, say, all manner of lost people among us. And the truth is, says Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, that's why we believe. It's not that we have the best arguments about God or that we've memorized the cosmological or ontological arguments about the existence of God and that Jesus is a good tradition in which to help us understand God. It's that we believe and know that we have seen God in the face of Jesus himself. It's not where it ends. There's one final question. We need to ask and answer, what is Jesus' relation to me? Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So let's be clear. History proves that Jesus is not affirming that each believer will do greater miracles than he did. There's never been a believer that has done greater miracles than Jesus. I mean, really, how do you top Jesus? So what is Jesus saying? Let me explain. All over the world today, literally thousands and thousands of people are being anointed with oil in the name of Jesus. And a small band of Christ followers are laying hands on them, praying for them, and they're being healed. All over the world, people are sharing with others the name of Christ. They believe. Their sins are washed away. They're set free. And they have a claim in the Father's house. All over the world, people are teaching other people the Word of God. And the church is forcefully advancing. All over the world, People are giving, and the poor and the destitute and the forgotten receive hope and new life. This is the greater work. The work of Jesus has gone global. And so if you want to know if Jesus had children, well, the answer is, we're his children. We who do the works of Christ, we're his bloodline. Together, all of us do what Jesus did. And furthermore, Jesus is our access to God. Verses 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Ultimately, is this not the proof for the truth of Jesus? Let me illustrate. You know, if I were to show up at 24 Sussex Drive today and say, you know, I was just thinking of having tea with the prime minister, and I also had a couple of things that I'd like him to take care of, well, I suspect I'd be turned away. And while I was going, I think I can hear the laughter and someone saying, I guess, you know, it just takes all kinds. But if that's so in the normal dealings on this earth, just who do you or anyone else think we are to show up before God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, infinite in power, in holiness and wisdom and majesty, and then say to him, by the way, I had some time and I just need to talk and I need you to take care of my marriage. You know, I'm not feeling that great and I need you to help me in my job. Well, who do you think you are? The answer is, I'm nobody. I wouldn't dream of that. And yet Jesus has said, you can go straight to God if you come in my name. It's not who we are. It's who he is. His name is the only name that opens heaven's door. His name gives access to God's heart. That's why you and I can pray in Jesus' name. See, I know whom I have believed. I know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life is not in us or in anyone else. He alone bears those titles. And I know that when I have seen him and believed in him, I have been in the Father's presence. You know, John, as you you speak these words, I'm just thinking about how easy it is for any of us to get sidelined, to get distracted by the smallest innuendo or, or suggestion of something that is outside of the Bible instead of looking to the proven historic word of God. Why, why are we so like that? Yeah, I know that, well, for a lot of us, I think it's the word is so offensive. And so, you know, because it, it confronts us in our sin and uh, it presents us with a Jesus who is the only hope towards God, um, I think a great many people just simply don't want that. And that's why I think, you know, these works like Dan Brown's and other stuff that comes out occasionally causes such a stir among people because they hope that somehow they can discount the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God stands. The Word of God is uh, authentic. Uh, the Word of God still will change hearts. And, if you know, for believers, I just want to say, Uh, You have every reason for trusting the Word. Keep your eyes on Christ. He is your answer. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue this series, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. 
For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.